So it feels good to be in the presence of God Almighty. And I realize we say it all the time, and, and three times a week, just in church service alone, we get to feel that presence. But it doesn't change the fact that He is truly God Almighty. Uh, thank you, Lord. You can be seated. Brother thank you. Brother Tyler, thank you for your help with the music. Brother Sleeve, you do not need to stick around. I was kind of giving you a hard time. This is your one time to run, actually. When we do it and minister together in the jail, we can't go anywhere. That's true. Probably. Take your opportunity to run. Um, feels like an oven. I don't know if anybody else is hot. You have to forgive me in advance. I'll be drinking some water, needing some water. Psalm 73. It's uh, probably becoming one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Especially, it is and will be my favorite if I'm looking for somebody to be very transparent. For a minister of God, a saint of God in the Bible to be transparent to where I can see what it looks like and they share with us their struggles even though they are a believer, even though they're the elect of God. They have temptations, they have struggles and how they deal with that. We see in Psalm 73, the entire chapter. And so we're going to do what I believe they call, Brother Neil, what do they call when they're going verse by verse? Is it expository? Okay, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to take a look at what this man, the writer of this chapter, has to say and, and how it could really pertain to us. Because truthfully, any one of us could, could have written this. Any one of us could have took our pen and wrote down our thoughts about how the struggles are for us in life today. And hopefully by the end of it, we could end up at the same place that the writer of this chapter ends up. And so... In verse 1, it says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. And so the writer is just starting off to say, he's declaring his confidence in God. Truly God is good to Israel. And it's a point here that we've got to catch because it's, it's the people of God that have a clean heart. So not just the people of Israel, but the Israelites that have a clean heart. So not those Israelites that are ceremonial clean. They, they're practicing things on the outside. They appear to be like they're in correct relationship with God. But the writer's saying something that wants to be, that's deeper than that. He's saying those that have the clean heart. So not just those that appear to be children of God, but those who truly are children of God. And we can get that very confused this day and age. People say, well, I go to church and they can start to mark off a list and they say, I show up for prayer. I show up for this, but... What does he say? He says, if my people who are called by my name, it doesn't stop there, will humble themselves and pray, doesn't stop there, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and then will I heal their land. And so it's really a bad day, and it's a bad time when people can deceive themselves to believe that, hey, God owes me something. He's got blessings and and there are promises that he makes throughout Scripture, and, and those should be upon me, and I expect those to be upon me. And rightfully so, as long as you are in right covenant relationship. 
As long as you truly are a clean heart, you really do desire God, and you do have promises from God entitled to you. So he gets that off in the beginning. He just says how confident he is. But then in verse 2, we start to see that he has these temptations. We start to see a look at his struggle. He says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. The man of God, he knows the power of God, knows God is with them, is making something, a statement here. He's admitting that even though I know this about God, my feet almost fell. I almost slipped. I was almost gone. People, when we, when we have errors in our heart or errors in our mind, the way we think about things or the way we look at things, and he'll spell this out in more detail as we go through, it's not long before that comes out in our conduct. You know, our feet and our heads are connected by our bodies. And so when we start to think about things that take us off course or we start to notice things that could lead us down a path that is not right, it's not proper, it's not according to the will of God, then you've just got to know that doing that will surely get you in a position where not long from then you could stumble and you could fall, could change your walk with God. When men doubt the righteousness of God, their own integrity begins to waver. If we look to God and we trust the fact that he's righteous, that he's holy, that he's magnificent, that he is the creator, that he's got everything in order, and he's all-powerful, all-knowing, well, then we can say, okay, it makes sense for him to dictate to me a conduct of life that I should be living and, and rules and regulations that are looking out for me because he knows best. But the moment we start to allow the world to, to get into our mind, even a little bit, to start to doubt God's all-knowing power, to start to doubt his righteousness, his perfectness, uh, him as the creator, the maker of everything, well, then it's not long before we start to, in ourselves, say, well, I don't know why I need to hold up to these standards. Why is integrity really so important when God's really not as big as I thought he was? And so the attack first comes throughout the mind and then makes its way into the place where it starts affecting our walk. Verse 3 says it. So he trusts God. Verse 2, we find out that he's dealing with the struggle. He's almost fallen. But verse 3 tells us why. What was it that could cause a man of God that's faithful and knows God that could get slippery slopes and could start to slide and possibly fall? For I was envious at the foolish, he says. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, man, the man of God, how pitiful is that? It's, it's saddening that an heir of heaven would be envious of a fool, envious of the wicked. And yet the man of God is just sharing his heart. He's being honest with us, allowing us to see what's taking place. And truthfully, he was envious of the prosperity of the wicked. And man, if that attack is not the attack that comes about every day around every corner, when someone sits back and they look at the prosperity of those who are not of God, and you look at them and you think, man, they're wealthy. They seem to have it all together. They've got nice cars. It doesn't seem like they're struggling or are really wanting for anything. How are they, the wicked, prospering so much? And of course, watching that and then looking at your own life and seeing struggles that you're dealing with, things that you're facing where it doesn't seem like you're being delivered or surely doesn't seem like you're prospering like the people that you're watching. Start to eat your mind. Verse 4, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. It seems like these people that are out there wicked, 
And the writer knows that when it's all said and done, right, when it's all over, we've got a place in eternity with Jesus Christ, and the wicked will perish. But knowing that, and from his eyes, watching those that are dying, that don't know God, that haven't lived for God, those that are wicked, it seems like they've got no fear in death. Now, I know we talk about it and we testify about how people have been at the deathbed and, and they've been there with the rich person, the famous person that didn't know God. And in their last few breaths or their last few moments, you could see the fear and, and they really were afraid to die. And that's true. But man, so many people don't give it a second thought. Bro, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Out there in the world, caught up in the things that you were caught up in, the gangs, the violence, the drugs, people every day give no second thought to when they're going to lose their life. They'll pull a gun, they'll shoot, they'll rob a bank, they'll steal, they'll put themselves in positions all the time where their life can be taken, but they don't care. There's no fear for it, and truthfully, it's probably because they have no understanding of the consequences of what's to come after this life. But still... The writer's saying, man, it just stinks that I'm looking at these people. And there's saved people that struggle within themselves to really know were they right with God? Had they repented of everything? Were they a clean heart and yet the wicked die every day and seem to have no fear? Verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. It appears that those people are not in need. They're not left wanting for clothes. They're not left wanting for food. And I understand that most people in this place, maybe you've never experienced what it's like to truly wake up and think about, man, how am I going to get food today? What shelter am I going to have because I'm being evicted one more time because I haven't been able to pay the bills? Or, or how will I get clothes for my children? You know, school's getting ready to start, and every other kid's going to get what they call school clothes, and mom and dad's going to run out and buy them for them, and here I am one more time having to look my kids in the face, and, and I love God, I'm righteous, I'm living for God, and I want to please God, but I've got to look them in the face one more time and say, kids, I'm sorry, we just don't have the money to get you anything this year for school, and yet me, my kids, my wife, and all the other that are living for God, watch as the wicked are not even troubled by it. Not all wicked. His attention is on the wicked that appear to be prosperous. How tough is that to see that? Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. Their pride, there's no jeweler that could sufficiently make them a necklace or something that would express their worth more so than the pride and the arrogance that the wicked walk around with. They show that in the face of everybody they come in contact with, their uh, violence covers them as garments, just part of their attitude and who they are. They're better than everybody else, and everybody else has to bow to them, and at all costs, they will do what they want. It's a garment they wear. Verse 7, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than a heart could wish. Okay, put yourself, as we're teaching here, let's put ourselves in the shoes of the writer. Picture all the famous, the, the wealthy who are on the internet, who go on TV, who's on the radios, and, and we, are, we are telling them, and we believe the Bible teaches wholeheartedly that they need to repent, they need to talk to God, they need to live right before God. And outside of that, you don't belong to Him, but here they are with millions of dollars and 
billions of dollars, more money than we could ever imagine. So much piled up. They're corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lawfully. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. So they're not just talking tough one to another, person to person, people to people, but they have no problem dissing God. They got no problem saying that he doesn't exist. They got no problem talking back to him, down to him, as if he's a nobody, though he created them. They speak that way to him. You hear it all the time on interviews of famous people. They get on there and they want to they talk about their different beliefs and, and who they are, what they are, how they got to where they're at. And, and the writer's saying the same thing. I just, I just see them speaking against God. And, and you see it every day as another famous person jumps up to criticize a preacher that talks against homosexuality or a preacher that talks against uh, marriage or talks for marriage being between a man and a woman. You see all these sins rising up in society, just being pushed into the faces of, of the people and, and all those that are wicked and famous and, and rich and wealthy, they stand up and they back it, they support it and they say in the face of God that these things should be. How is it so? The writer is confused. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. So the unrighteous, the wicked, they're experiencing this. They're, they're being taken care of. It appears that they're being provided for in a very significant way. And here, verse 10, he says, but your people, we're returning here, and the waters we get are wrung from the tabs to fill our cup. We don't even have access to enough water to provide for ourselves. We're grabbing the scraps of water from towels that are being wrung out. How is it so, God? That the wicked prosper like this and we sit here in need and in want. Can you feel his frustration? It's tough. It's real life. This is why I love this passage of scripture because it's so true. He's saying things here that nobody would want to get up and testify about. No one's rushing to grab the mic to say, hey guys, I'm about wiped out. I'm falling down because so-and-so is doing so well out there in the world and, and it just feels like God's given up on us and it seems like he's blessing them when he said he was going to bless us. And no one wants to do that. But it's the struggle that we deal with. People talk about the struggle with, with uh, sickness, the struggle with uh, drugs or alcohol or being delivered from that. And those things are very real, but on a real level basis and something that's going to attack more of us than a temptation to use drugs, more of us than a temptation to be some drunk or some whore or, or some prostitute is going to be this. God, where are you in all of this? Look around the world we're living in. If you were going to claim about this, this great God and you look around this world, does it seem like he's moving there? Does it seem like he's protecting his people as they're being beheaded in other countries, being put to death. Does it seem that way? Verse 11. And they say, how doth God know? Oh, here it goes. Here's the haughtiness of the wicked. So they're watching us. You, me, the righteous, those who want to live for God. 
And they're watching and they're seeing the, the poorness of it. They're seeing the towels being wrung out for us to drink, the food being looked for for us to eat. And they're saying, how does God know? Surely, if God was real like you said he was, and he was available to you like you said he was, and he really knew what you were going through, he would provide for you. So then it becomes something that's thrown in the face of the writer and gets thrown in the face of us many times. If God was so powerful, how come he didn't heal so-and-so? If God was as mighty as you say, how come so-and-so is still looking for a job? If God was all-powerful and all-knowing, then why would such-and-such such have lost their house? And so on and so on. And where was God in 9-11? And where was God? And it goes on and on and on. And they try to throw in the face and push at us and say, okay, where is your God then? Where is he? And is there knowledge in the Most High, they say? Is there anything worth knowing your God? Is there any benefit of knowing the so-called God you speak about? Because we're not sinning. Verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world they increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed. Here he goes. Verily I have cleansed. No one wants to say this. My heart in vain. Just maybe I'm doing this and walking with God in vain. Just maybe all the separation stuff and, and all the things he's telling me that's going to be good for me, maybe it's all in vain and I really don't need to be a part of these things. And maybe I'll wash my hands in innocence. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Spurgeon was writing a piece on this in his uh his thoughts and his notes and said that he was feeling like there were crowns for the reprobates and crosses for the elect. Strange that the saints should sigh and the sinners sing. Rest was given to the disturbers and yet peace was denied to the peacemakers. Now someone could step back and say, no, that's not true. Things don't go that way. God doesn't allow that. Well, that's not the case at all. Because God was always straightforward with us. He said we would be persecuted for his name's sake. He never promised to supply and give us everything of our heart's content and our heart's desire. But he did promise that he would be with us. He did promise that in every situation he would make a way of escape, which is him. And if we will lean on him and we will count on him, he will be the way of escape. And even though we can go through this world without, and maybe we won't be provided the luxuries that other people in wicked situations will be provided, we can rest assured that God is here for us. And we've got to keep our head in the game and know the end from the beginning that if we stay course, this steady course, we will make it. Verse 16, when I thought to know this, no, verse 15, if I say I will speak this, look at him, here's wisdom. If I say I will speak this, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. He's, I feel all of this inside. I'm feeling all of this inside, but I can't speak this. I can't say these negative thoughts. I can't share these things because they will offend and they will hurt the generation of my brothers, thy children, God's children. 
It's a good point, man. My goodness, when you think about all the times that we have struggles and we just start complaining and immediately we just begin to spew it out like a river that can't be stopped and we start talking about how, well, this should be that way and that should be that way. I've been guilty of it myself. Everyone's been guilty of, of trying to judge and say how things should be and, and when we get offended, we want the whole world to know we're offended. And here's the wisdom of it. What are we doing when we do that? Are we edifying the church? Are we building one another up? No. He was afraid. He was hurt. But he could not speak this. It says 16, when I thought to know that I couldn't share this, it was too painful for me. All these thoughts, everything within me, the burden of thinking that maybe I'm not doing the right thing, that there's a struggle, a war within me, and everybody's been in that place where that war is within you, and you're not really sure if you're going to walk for God anymore or if you're going to throw in the towel. Everybody's been in that position where you think about the things you used to do before you got in church. I've been there myself. I've thought about, man, I feel broke today, but if I could do this, I remember you could make this much money in just a few moments if you found the right person, connected the dots, and got the right stuff sold to somebody else, you could take care of the problem. Everybody has been within this inward battle trying to figure out what will I do. I'm at the fork in the road. Nobody understands what I'm facing. Nobody really knows what I'm going through. But here, right now, in this moment, I decide. And I'm either going to go down the path of righteousness and keep my course with God, or I'm saying adios to this, and I'm taking another path because it's just so waiting to stay here. Verse 17. Now here is the pivotal point of everything. Verse 17. It was too painful for him in verse 16. Let me get to verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their Until I went into the sanctuary of God. He got into a place where he was in the presence of God. The anointing was there. He could feel the presence of God in the sanctuary of God. And if you ever want to make a right decision, and, and if you're ever perplexed within yourself and you've got to decide, don't do it by yourself. Don't do it feeling sorry for yourself. Don't do it around your friends. But get into the place where you can be alone with God and where God can guide you, where God can strengthen you. Because when you get your mind in a place where God wants it to be, then you can see, just as he said, now I see and understand their end. There's a place for him right here where he just knows that God is powerful, God is mighty, and out of all of this struggle that he's feeling, if I could just get into the presence of God and allow him to speak to me. So many people deal with struggle. So many people beat their heads against the wall and truly never even take the time to put hours or, or half hours or, or moments into just solid prayer. Into a place where you just get broken and where you say, I don't want my will anymore. I don't want to deal with these struggles anymore. God, I need you to just succumb me, just to overcome me, overwhelm me. God, have your way. Speak to me. And when we enter a place with God like that, when we're just engulfed by God, man, it's then we can think clear. It's then we can recognize the wicked's not prospering. It's then we can recognize, God, you told me of these struggles from the beginning, and you're still with me. 
Man, a whole mind shift can happen. A heart shift can happen. And truthfully, right here in this moment, it can save your soul in the presence of God. We don't get that kind of instruction and that kind of strength anywhere else. But in the presence of God. You can go to your pastors, and that's great. He'll give us guidance. He'll pray for us. He'll be there. We should do that. It's orchestrated in a way where we can do that. But yet, there's nothing. And any pastor worth his salt will tell you there's nothing in comparison. Talk to me all you want, but get in the presence of God. Let God speak to you. Verse 18 starts to talk about the fate of the ungodly. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. Now he's starting to get it. He's like, okay, God, I've turned this corner. I know things seem that way for me. And I was messed up for a second, God. Here's the best part about that. You see all the struggles he went through? Think about all the struggles you go through. Things you think about. Times you wanted to walk away. You wanted to throw in the towel. And yet all it took was for him to get in God's presence. And there's no battle here where it says God or God speaking to him saying, well, I'm not going to receive you back. You had all these thoughts. I'm not taking you back. That's not the case at all. It doesn't even get mentioned. It just transitions to his understanding about, okay, you're right, God. I understand now. Surely they're in slippery places themselves. And although it seems like they're in strong places, destruction is coming their way. 19 says, how are they brought into desolation as in a moment they're utterly consumed with terror. So yes, they do seem like they got it together. And yes, it seems like they've got no fear in death. And yes, it does appear that they are being privileged and blessed beyond measure, whereas we are not. But the truth of the matter is, it's not about the worldly possessions. It doesn't matter how blessed they appear to be here on earth, how popular they appear to be here on earth. How many people have you seen? Story after story on the news of, of famous people with millions that got everything you could desire yourself, monetary-wise, and yet here comes the story. They pass away, and now we start to hear how lonely they were, how the drugs they were taking because they were depressed, and, and how they went from, from uh, lover to lover because they, they never really truly felt the companionship from a, a spouse or anybody like that, and they died a lonely life. And yeah, they had millions, and yes, they had big houses, but when it all was said and done, there's something the church has that nobody else gets privileged to, and that is the presence of God and the guarantee that we don't go to a place to be by ourselves, but that he is preparing a place for us, and there's room for anyone that would allow themselves to be consumed and led by God. doesn't matter how much right now. Verse 20 is a dream when one awakens, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise your image. When God awakes to his judgment, because it's coming, they who despise him shall be despised. Be confident in this. It doesn't just bring us a peace of mind for ourselves, but it allows us and forth, uh, gives us the right to say, you know what, I need to be moved by that. And I need to be reaching out for some people and, and trying to get the attention of some people because at the end of the day, if I don't get their attention and they don't submit themselves over to the will of God, there is a place that I wish upon nobody that they are going to. We start to find his renewal and commitment to God in verse 21. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant was I as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. 
Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. So foolish was I to even think these things going. So foolish is a person to think the grass is always greener on the other side. So foolish is a married man to think that another man's wife would be more entertaining to him and more beneficial to him than the wife that God has provided him already. So foolish is the person that says, no, I can go ahead and start to, to reach out and branch out a little bit. I realize God is good, but there's a little other things in this world that are, are kind of entertaining and things I want to start to, to partake in. And, and you start to allow yourself just to venture out a little bit. Foolish is a person that allows themselves start to go astray, even with the smallest of temptations. Verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart, they fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all of them that go whoring from thee. But it is good for me, here it is, he closes it up, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Wow. Thank you for writing this and sharing with us your heart as you went from being the man of God that everybody looked up to through these challenges within his heart, to end up knowing that I just need to be with you, God, and that I can trust you, and that you provide, and that you make a way. So I'm closing up, and I got a question. This was hundreds and hundreds of years ago that this has been experienced. And here we are in 2012, and Anybody that's honest can look at themselves and say, I have experienced thoughts along these lines. I have felt struggles in my walk with God. I have thought sometimes about just giving up and maybe I'm doing all of this in vain. I've thought that maybe the co-workers who poke fun or, or the, the people that show up only a few times at church and make fun of me for coming every time the doors are open, maybe I'm doing all of this in vain. Any one of us could put ourselves there even in this day 2012. And I would say that right now the access to sin is so available to us. So available to us. We can get our hands on things that could destroy us by typing a few words into our internet, into our Yahoo to our Google. And once certain things are exposed to us, you don't just get to shut those down. You don't just get to ignore those. You've got to deal with those things. Sin is just so acceptable. It's the cool thing to do as a society. As a society, the people that stand for righteousness are the weirdos, the people that want to, to see marriage between a man and a woman because even if you took the Bible out of it, we would go extinct we did it any other way. Does common sense speak against the things that are acceptable nowadays? It does, and yet we do it, and we enjoy it, and we take pleasures in it. This world is corrupt, and it's easy, and it's acceptable. So here's where I want to get up 
get to that uh, the, the writer couldn't find himself at. But we can today. Mark 13, verses 19 and 20. For in those days shall be the affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created until this time. Neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, for his people's sake, whom he has chosen, he has shortened the days. Make no mistake, God is fighting for us. He is still protecting us. He's still making a way for us. How do we overcome, though? I know the days are going to be shortened. I know that the Bible, according to what we just read, he's saying that everybody can make it because the days when you wouldn't be able to make it, he is shortening. They don't exist. Well, Luke 2.49 gives us the answer, 24 and 49, on how today you and I, believers, we can make it. We can overcome. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem. Why? Until you be endued with power from on high. Don't let us underestimate the power of the Holy Ghost operating in our lives. The anointing of God working within us to direct us, to give us strength to overcome is in the Holy Ghost. It's a promise to us. He gave it to us. Acts 1.8 just talks about it more, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So what do we need? We want one answer that says, hey, if you can just partake of this thing and manage that, you will make it. Stand with me. That answer, our answer, our strength, our deliverance is in the power of the Holy Ghost. If you're in this room and you've only heard it talked about, you've never experienced what it's like to feel God's presence filling you, it should be at the top of your list of things that you desire most because once it happens, it changes you. God's Spirit living within you allows you to go from one moment of wondering and doubt to the next moment to check yourself and to allow God's Spirit to give you direction and strength. And so I want to pray for us before we leave and ask God as we face this work, this challenging, wretched world, we would allow ourselves and God's power to work in us that we should not be led astray. And so God, I just want to thank you for your word and, and for the writing we've read tonight and how clear it is the struggles that we deal with in this world. And yes, God, we're, we're honest about it. We know that we're dealing with a wretched society. We know that we're facing things within politics that could dictate to what we're allowed to say, what we're not allowed to say, what we're allowed to stand up for without being threatened by jail, being stripped away from our families, and probably one day killed or murdered. God, it's tough, and it seems very difficult, and it does seem hard, and yes, it does seem like the wicked are prospering. It does appear the sin is winning the battle, God, and numbers, it looks like there's so many more of them than us, and how will we ever be able to do it? But God, I pray, I pray for the strength of your spirit 
to settle upon each and every one of us, God. I pray for your anointing to rise and stir within us a heart that says, I will not give up, that says, I will not quit, God. One that says, I want to fall in love with the things that please him. Fall in love with the things that you desire for us to fall in love with, God. Draw us near to you. Let us desire to let your spirit work in our lives. Help us to pray more than we've ever prayed and allow you to talk back to us and not just listen to us. God, let your anointing guide and lead this group with your power, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let your power be within us. Let us give ourselves over to it. So many of us surrendered our bodies, our minds, our intellects, our attitudes to this world for so long. And then you came along, God. And I pray with that same fervency, we can give ourselves over to righteousness and holiness, God, in an attitude that says, I will serve you in the face of a wicked generation. Help us. And it feels good to know that you're going to do just that. It is not our strength nor our mind. But it's all of them. Thank you. Jesus. Jesus. Can we just take a minute and just thank you? We're in But God has been so good. And He is for us. And if He is for us, who can be against us? And so, God, we just want to lift our voice one more time. To thank you, God. To thank you, God. To thank you, God. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your deliverance. Thank you, God, for your cares, for your outstretched arm to continue to reach for us. Thank you for the hands that shape us and make us who we are. Thank you for not forsaking us. Thank you for not giving up on us, God. Hallelujah. You are good to us, God. And we owe you everything, mighty God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We put our hands together.